A little more work from this morning. I don't think it'll be too difficult to deal with, but we want to address some of those issues. This morning I tried to touch on some of the aspects uh, that we are going to be encounter that we encounter theologically. I did not really talk about the historical part of what the authors of Scripture were dealing with in terms of their false, the false teaching they were countering that was addressed by this once-for-all declaration. I really wanted to deal with that tonight, uh, which is really abnormal for me. I really usually switch that around, but uh, I wanted to deal with the historical things so then we can consider, are these things still going on today? Um, we addressed the Calvinistic model that says that uh, Christ didn't die for all, but only for the elect, and we, we kind of picked on that this morning. And, uh, but I also want to address some of the other issues um, that are handled once we get a concept that the faith that we have, our Savior, his sacrifice was once for all time, once for all men, and only once. That is, there's only one. And so we uh, want to look a little bit at how that's applied in biblical times uh, to two, especially two groups, but really there's three or four others, there's two or three others, so that gives us three or four total that we want to address, some of which will be easily connected to some things today, um, and others not so easily connected. We usually think, well, that's not going on today, but in some circles it is, so we're going to have a little discussion on that. Um, but when we talk about once for all in Jude, verse 3, I keep wanting to say chapter. It's really hard not to say chapter and verse after all these years. In Jude, verse 3, uh, that we have a, the faith, which is once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, we have hopefully a pretty good handle on some of the issues that were going on in the church. In the early centuries, early decades of the church, not even centuries, because it wasn't, didn't last that long, I don't think. Um, in the early decades of the church, uh, the first hundred years, we have um, the issue of the Judaizers that were going on throughout the church. And they were infiltrating, they were basically just following behind the apostolic movement of the gospel, and even the non-apostolic movement of gospel, because the Church of Antioch was not an apostolic movement. There was no apostle sent up there. That was a result of the persecution that scattered people abroad. Um, so I guess you could attribute it to Paul back when he was Saul, but uh, <laughs> they weren't apostles going out with the message. They were pretty much stationary for that time period in Jerusalem. But as the gospel penetrated the Roman Empire, one of the things that happened were Judaizers that were coming in behind them. And that is they would establish these churches, they would, they would preach the gospel. Remember, they began in the synagogues, was Paul's modus operandi, that was his MO. He started in the, in the synagogues, met there several weeks until basically they couldn't tolerate his popularity of his message, imagine that, uh, and uh, wanted him out. And counterbalancing that, he had a whole bunch of Gentiles listening at the window. Maybe we should have windows here. We'd have a lot more of an audience. Um, listening at the window of the synagogue, who said, well, come over and preach it to us. We want to hear more of this, Jesus, and how he died for all. And so that was the work of the synagogue, of the once for all, was to um, introduce the idea that Jesus and the church was full of not just 
Jews, but Gentiles. And of course, the Great Commission tells us that. You're supposed to go to Jerusalem? Yes. Judea? Yes. Samaria? Uh, okay. The outermost parts of the world? Are you nuts? We'll go to the Jews in the outermost parts of the world. And that's what the Judaizers wanted to do. So when they were trailing behind the gospel, uh, they were already going into established churches and professing themselves to be something because they were trained in Judaism. They were trained in the law. Most of them were rabbis or, elite, or Pharisees, uh, Sadducees of that nature. Most of them were Pharisaical. Um, very few Sadducees followed in that course um, because, of course, they don't believe in the resurrection at all. And so we have these individuals coming in, and their declaration was that you have to have two things. You have to become a Jew. Get circumcised. Uh, you have to come to Christ as a Jew. He didn't die for the world. He really only wants to minister, and we want to keep this a Jewish thing. So we allow Gentiles to proselytize to, Jews, proselytize to Judaism. So that's what you need to do. And Paul misinforms you. Everyone in Jerusalem is a Jew, and the church is full of is, should be Jewish. And so for them, Christ didn't die for all. He only died for those that would accept Judaism. And of course, right alongside of that, once you have to be a Jew to be in the church, then right beside that, you have to keep the law. And this addresses both sides of, that's one of the reasons why Jude wasn't specific about whether it's once for all time or once for all men, because both sides of those were there under Judaism, under the Judaizers. Because not only did Jesus only die for Jews, so you have to become a Jew, but you also have to keep the law. And so that sacrifice wasn't quite complete enough. And so you have to keep the law in addition to what Jesus did for you. And this was the error that the Judaizers were introducing. And so many books of our Bible were written for that. Particularly Galatians comes to mind immediately because Paul, one of the earliest, probably his first book, and he just deals with it right head on. That's all he wrote that letter about. Listen, you Galatians, this is foolishness. You don't go back to a broken system. The book of Hebrews is all about that. We don't go back to that. Um, God wants us to go forward. He's got something better for us. So why would you, you want to backtrack into that? And in fact, to do so, both Paul and the writer of Hebrews makes it very clear to do so is to deny Christ. It, why? Because you're denying that he died once for all. That's how critical that phrase is in our Christianity. Once you remove once for all from your theology of Christ and salvation, you are considered in error and a false teacher if you're propagating it. Okay, so false teachers are the propagators of error. Um, then there's the poor, miserable souls that are taken in by them, which are treated very differently in Scripture. Uh, that you are led away. And so the letters are written to the people led away into error um, and against false teachers. No letters are written to false teachers inviting them to repent. None. False teachers are to be condemned. So this is the Judaizers. So they are coming in behind and they had all the letters after their name. They had all the formal training. They knew the law. They knew the Old Testament. How Conversant were Gentiles in the Old Testament. 
Well, that was not their forte. That, they were pretty weak in that. Uh, and they really only had maybe, you know, he was in Ephesus for three years, some places a lot less. Um, so, they, so they were really dependent upon, and here comes this rabbi, here comes this Pharisee, and he knows all the scripture, and oh, he must know. And, and then he coming from Jerusalem, from Judea, so he must know what's going on in the church there. And maybe Paul didn't get the whole message or something. They were supposed to remember even the early Jerusalem church was dealing with this because James was there saying, all the Christians are zealous for the law. It's like, why? Paul's like, huh? So can't you just get along? And we come to this, this is error. This is denying the work of Christ. So once for all is a really important phrase in your theology. And if you lose it, you're going to go into error. And so either Christ's sacrifice was complete, it was enough, it was sufficient for um, all time. There had to be nothing added to it. You don't have to add any of your works to the work of Christ for your sins to be forgiven and for a place in the family of God and for his righteousness. His work is what you are trusting in entirely. Anything I do now as a Christian is not to complete my salvation is really an expression of thanksgiving of the reality of Christ in me. It is the evidence that that work, that finished work of Christ, is at work in me. And so, um, and, and again, the best illustration is, is parents and their children. Uh, you give your children life um, if they don't eat, if they don't poop, if they don't cry, if they, if they don't do anything, um, if their heart doesn't beat, does it concern you? Sure, you say they're not alive. Okay, and so if you've accepted Christ your Savior, you have new life in Christ, you should have all the evidence of life. You should have a pulse. You should have a spiritual pulse. You should be spiritually consuming things. You should be spiritually doing things. And kids that are always laying there and never move, we're really concerned about them. So I love when your kids are squirmy because it means they're growing, they're alive. They need to squirm. Right? And it's hard for them. They'll learn the discipline. I mean, some of you still struggle with squirming. Yeah, there's our deacon back there pacing. Um, and Valerie's up here going through, look, a little foot going, do, 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 because she can't keep that thing still for anything. So that's part of life, is movement, breathing. These are all things we want to see. Well, this is the evidence of Christianity. These aren't things we say to make us live. Um, but these are the things, these are evidence that we are alive. And if they stop, we kind of question, well, is this person, are you breathing? And why aren't you eating? Are, are, you know, how are you going to sustain life? Why aren't you resting? Why aren't you doing all these things that live people do? Um, why aren't you talking? Why aren't you engaging? And so um, we aren't adding to our salvation. But the Judaizers are different. They said, no, you have to keep the law because the work of Christ is not sufficient once there's a lack of sufficiency in the work of Christ, you have entered into a false teaching that is a huge problem. And this is essentially, historically, always been the problem between um, true Christianity and organized religion. And I, I say organized religion, I don't want to just pick on the Catholic Church. They're not the only ones. Um, the, the, there are other churches out there, too, that have basically said, well, Christ is sufficient, uh, well, Christ died for you, but you also have to have this. You have to have these seven sacraments. You have to have this. You have to be baptized. You have to do this. You have to do that. And once we start saying that the work of Christ isn't sufficient for our salvation, 
we are walking the road of the Judaizers. And so this once for all was real important to what was going on in the church right then. Once for all men, you didn't have to be a Jew. You could be a Gentile. You could be, you know, uncircumcised. You can be a man, a woman, slave, free, didn't matter. Um, Christ died for all, and that sacrifice was complete. It was finished for all time. There doesn't have to be anything added to it. And so that was the Judaizers that were prevalent then. The other group that they were dealing with in the early church were called the Gnostics. I don't know if you're how familiar you are with the Gnostics. It's not spelled with an N, it's spelled with a G. G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. I get lost in my letters sometimes when I say them verbally. The Gnostics. And the Gnostics, and then the, the foundation of that term is gnosis, which in Hebrew, Greek really just means knowledge. Okay, secret knowledge. And so they said, well, it's fine uh, for you to claim this, that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, but the only real Christians are those that have this secret knowledge. And then guess who you had to get the secret knowledge from? Them. <laughs> you are 100% dependent upon them. And so when you read in Jude, you read in Peter, and you read um, in John and in Paul's writings, and you read in these guys, and they're saying about these men that come in, and basically it's all about them. You have to bring all your attention to them. Why? Because they're saying, if you don't have this inside information, you really don't have a full salvation. Yeah, you know about Jesus, but there's more. There's secret material that you need to have an understanding of. And if you don't get this, uh, then you're not really fully saved. You're kind of in, in, I don't know, no man's land. You're not really lost, but you're not really fully saved until you get this, this gnosis. You got to get this, this extra information. And so they denied Christ that way. Uh, again, that what he did wasn't sufficient. And that it wasn't for everyone. It was only for those that had the secret information. Now that kind of goes along with a couple of verses that Paul said. Remember when Paul said that there's a mystery? That we declare the mysteries of Christ, that these are great mysteries. And he uses that word mystery. And that's really not a good English word for the Greek word that Paul used. It's really these things that um, have not yet been revealed, but are revealed. They were mysteries not they are mysteries and so Paul's statement is we are here to tell people the things they haven't heard yet it isn't like it's secret in fact we don't want it to be secret we want to tell everybody but it's un, not universally known and Paul says that's our job is to make it universally known we want everyone to know it this isn't something that you have to go through some initiation to get this information no we aren't dependent upon an individual who uh, receives the Holy Spirit. Is it only a few or is it everyone? That's the question. Where do you get your information? Where do we get our illumination from? Well, ha has God given us pastors, teachers? Yes. To help us explore God's word? Absolutely. But we are human agents who are equally dependent upon the same person that God put in your life, that Jesus Christ sent into your life if you're a believer, and that is the Holy Spirit. I have to not only do 
my Bible reading and lateral reading and, and research and things like that and, and tear into this with some of my, I don't really know Greek, but my Greek helps. I took Greek. That doesn't mean I know Greek. <laughs> I took Spanish too. I don't really know Spanish either. Um, and I took Latin. I don't know Latin anywhere very much either. So um, just because I took those doesn't mean I know any of them. But I can work, I can, I know how they function. So I go into my Latin, my Greek work helps and, um, and I drive this information. But fundamentally, even while I'm doing all that, there's something else that has to happen or it's going to come back empty. It's going to be worthless to you and to me. And that is I have to go to the Holy Spirit in prayer and say, Lord, open your word to me. I have to do that. Because my faculties aren't enough. And all those helps, all those lateral readings, those are all other men too. And their faculties aren't enough. And so these secret societies within the church have no place because the Holy Spirit is for all. Because Jesus died once for all men. And so there is no levels of salvation in Christendom. You're either saved or you ain't. There's nothing in between. You either got the Spirit or you don't. Now, is his filling determined based upon your life? Yes. He can be present and not influence you because you resist him, because you hinder him, and, be, and uh, quench him is the biblical word we use. That is that you push him to the side. You keep holding him down. And the illustration I use with everybody is a thermometer. We all have the same amount of mercury. Some of us, it fills the whole tube. Some of us, it's all down there in the bulb. And never shows, right? What's the difference? What environment you give it? You put it in a spiritually warm environment, the Holy Spirit fills your tube. And it shows to everybody. Everybody looks at it and says, wow, look at the whole thing. It's full of the Holy Spirit. Other people look at it and says, where's the Holy Spirit? It's down there somewhere. Why? Because they're in a spiritually cold environment. It's not because they don't have him or they, you have more than he does. We all have the same Holy Spirit. He possesses the believer equally. And so um, the idea of the Gnostics that you have to know the secrets and only select people have that and these are the ones that are really in the God track um, is, is what was going on in the church. So this is first century stuff. This is what they are dealing with right away in the church. A church was born and a few years later here come the Judaizers and pretty soon you had Gnostics as well rising up. And then and the Bible describes them as deniers of Christ. I mentioned that this morning. In one passage, it's going to come up in a lot of passages. They deny the Lord who bought them. They deny Christ. Because once you deny once for all, then Christ isn't the Christ. What Jesus did wasn't enough. And your salvation is worthless. And so um, whenever we have to deal with that, this phrase, we need to recognize they had it back then and we have it too. I picked on one, but there are others that we're doing that essentially are denying Christ. And so when we start lifting off, listing off what are the um, cardinal doctrines of the church, that's the term we use, um, not because they're red, uh, because, well, maybe it is because they're red. These are the, one, the truths that you hold to or die. I would rather die than abandon these truths. That's why I call them cardinal doctrines. They have to be held or you're no longer a Christian. Uh, 
so many of them are centered around Jesus Christ. You have to believe that he is God. If Jesus isn't God, he's just another man that died. And so when you encounter some people that come to your door with a watchtower and they're, the Jesus they're talking about they was not God. He was a God. Um, in their little, he was a demigod. He was an emanation from God. He wasn't God himself. You can just throw the paper back at them. It says, oh, you broke number one rule. Bam. Get out of my face. Essentially, the Bible tells you to do that, by the way. It doesn't tell you to be kind and polite. It says, get out of here. Don't bless them. Don't bring them into your home. Don't give them the time of day. Just say, get lost, because you are deniers of Christ. Sorry. That's not PC today, politically correct, but when the Bible says, don't greet them, don't bless them, don't let them in your house, that's how I take it. Is it's, um, you need to just be very direct with them and let them know that they are propagating error that is leading people astray into eternal fire. And... Uh, so once for all is critical, critical, critical to your understanding. And so what are the cardinal doctrines of Christ? He is God. He is sinless. If Christ sinned, he had to pay for his own sin. Uh, and of course, the substitutionary atonement of Christ on costs, the resurrection is absolutely necessary. Virgin birth, absolutely necessary. Um, if he wasn't born of a virgin, then he has inherited sin from his father. And so even though he didn't sin by, by action, a commission of omission, he would have been born with sin. And so all of these are necessary. These are cardinal doctrines, and they all focus around Christ, and they are summarized in this once for all. And so of all the things Jude could have picked on to describe our common salvation, he said, listen, the faith that was given to us, was presented to us, was a once-for-all faith. And that is the most concise description he could have of all these cardinal doctrines. And, and if you look at false teaching, one side or the other of this statement, they are going to be an error. They are always going to challenge that Jesus Christ is the once-for-all. For all men, for all time, and the only one. They will violate it in any one or multiples of those three things. There are, he's one of many instead of the one. He is only for some or he's not quite enough. You need to add to his work. And so that's what was going on that day. And in our day, we're seeing it still going on uh, outside of Calvinism. Where else are we seeing it? Any ideas? Any Judaizers today? Any Gnostics around? Which is? Um, both the Jehovah's Witness and Latter-day Saints all do damage to Christ. Um, and, and interestingly, also add that they have to do more than just believe. And if you're a Mormon, I don't know where it ever ends, because you don't just stop working, and you don't just work for your salvation here. You realize that a Mormon, once they die, they have to work in heaven well, it's not really heaven. Well, they call it heaven. But they have to keep working there 
And nowhere in Mormon doctrine does it ever describe how much you have to do to actually become a god. And so you just have to keep doing and 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 doing. It's a treadmill religion. They're adding not just a little bit to the work of Christ, but the work of Christ is really almost inconsequential. It was almost unnecessary. Right, you're going to be a god. Jesus was a man that became a god, and you are a man that can become a god. So if that's what you want, two blocks over. Okay. What else? Gnostics, Judaizers, deniers of Christ, deniers of his sufficiency. Which was? Catholic Church. Now, they have strong creeds about the deity of Christ. So are they denying that? No. So what part, what facet of once for all are they denying? One way. One sacrifice. That's, you don't have to add to it. But to a degree, they are also denying the universality of the offer. You understand that in the Catholic Church, the only way you can become a Christian is through them. Yeah. They do not recognize your faith outside of the Catholic Church, officially. That doesn't mean every Catholic you meet will believe that. That is the official dogma, though, of the church, is that only Catholics are Christians. That is their official dogma. Practicing Catholics. Not even all Catholics are, that's true. So you have to be in good standing. That means you're going to confession, you're taking the sacraments, you're doing all those things. Yeah, don't break any of those unforgivables. Others, what about within our circles, a little bit closer to home? Let's get a little closer to home. All right. If you weren't, I've actually had people tell me this. Um, did they use a King James Bible when they led you to Christ? And I was like, well, that was back in 1972. And I think that I don't remember. I was 10 years old. Am I in trouble? Is my eternity in jeopardy? They believe so. Well, don't you think you should put a stake in the ground and get your 1611 King James Bible out? I was like, I don't think so. I think I'm okay. What happened to all the people before 1611? How'd they get saved? Okay? We laugh, but it's not really laughing matter because they're really out there and they have a pretty large hearing, unfortunately, influence in the Baptist movement, particularly fundamental Baptist movement. Um, so when we begin to add to it that, well, you not only have to believe in Christ, we have to do it our way. You enter into kind of the realm of the Gnostics. And the Bible is very clear. You're denying Christ that it is his work is complete. 
and we don't elevate this book, when, the, when, when, God, when John Spike speaks about the Word made flesh, he's not talking about the Bible. He's talking about Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ you trust, and the Bible is the declarer of Christ, and we aren't worshiping this book, we worship the God of this book. We do not displace Christ with his word. That would be a horrible thing, but it happens. But it also lends to this whole Gnostic aspect. Um, do we really need to keep, and by the way, that's, that's an old thing. It was kind of funny because the Baptists were in the forefront of some of the translation stuff back when the Catholic Church wouldn't allow laymen to have a Bible. It's against the law because you couldn't understand it. Only a select few can understand the Bible. And so it's best not to let you have access. There's a reason we call that time period the Dark Ages. And that darkness was ignorance of God's word that the church kept her people in. And it smothers um, not just the soul, it smothers the mind and the heart and the the, uh, creativity of man even. Education is, whole movement of education was to teach them to read, so they read the Bible. I don't think many of us realize that. Um, I'm probably, we're probably some of the last ones that read the Bible in school. So, um, even, in, even uh, as a freshman in high school, we had a class in, it was an elective, but we had a class in my public school on the Bible. So I took the class because I knew the Bible. Sorry, all those listening to this. Um, what else? All right, good. You haven't really gotten saved till you got this spiritual gift of praying in tongues, speaking in tongues. You have to have this prophetic gift given to you. As soon as we start stratifying salvation, that there are levels of it, you are adding to Christ, the work of Christ, and you're violating the once-for-all principle. And this is a really good phrase to just evaluate all belief systems. Is Jesus once-for-all? And for them, he's not. You have to have, have to have, have to have. Well, and, and you can see them generating it. Okay? So we talked about the 1611 King James Bible people. That's really one side, but there's the other extreme too. What is that? Correct, correct. Keep, let, let me get to that. What's the opposite of the only this version of the Bible group? There's a there's big fight within the Southern Baptist movement over it several years ago. Well, yeah, it's it's the Bible contains somewhere in there is God's truth. Somewhere in there is truth. Right, and so they are de- they are detracting from your Bible. So. Um, some parts of the Bible, and this is called textual criticism, really led the field in this way. These are all very educated men. Sound familiar? 
that really know the Bible, know original languages, can speak them, uh, and Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, that they can engage in. These are the intellectuals in Harvard Divinity School and places like that. And what, are they, what were they producing? They're producing a bunch of pastors who did not believe that the Bible was inerrant, that it was the Word of God. And so they said, well, somewhere in here is the truth, and you can kind of pick and choose. So you have really seen these two extremes, and I really believe that a lot of the 1611 King James people are really reacting to this very liberal error, but have gone so far, they've gone into error themselves. And so we want to keep a balance that God's word is um, trustworthy, it is authoritative, it is um, inerrant, and, and, and we're going to really test that. Before we get down to the book of Jude, we're going to really test that. Is it true in all that it affirms? And uh, we're also going to, we've talked about when we did our Bible, our study on the Bible on Sunday night, about um, the composition of our Bible, that is, it is we, are, we are satisfied with it. That doesn't mean we can't read other things uh, with the idea that they have, and we're going to be introducing a book just like that in Jude, the book of Enoch. And so I'm going to be, I'm, I'm trying to find a source where I could just get it in a, as like a pamphlet for you to read, like a little booklet. Um, so I could distribute to all of you, but I haven't found it yet. I need to look a little harder, I guess. Um, but the Bible detractors that take away, and so what did they take away? Miracles. There was a, a Bible handbook called Ungers, Ungers Bible Handbook. And then they came out with the new Ungers. Oh, excited, updated, new Ungers Bible Handbook. So I ordered one. Because you know, I, I know you know when I when we have high school graduates, I give them book book sets, and so I thought I could add this to the book set. This is real exciting, the new Unger's Bible Handbook. So whenever I get something like that, what do you think I do? I don't read it all. I can't read it. It's a, it's a reference book. So what do I? Where do I go? I look at three things. Nope. I read what they say about Genesis one and two. I read what they say about the flood. And I read what they say about crossing the Red Sea. And usually I don't have to go any further than that. When I picked up the new Ungers, guess what it denied? It denied that creation was in six literal days. Unger had to have turned in his grave to hear that. They denied that the crossing of the Red Sea was on dry ground, and they tried to explain it, and they denied the universal flood. And I didn't go any further. I never even got to the New Testament. Didn't have to. If they're denying that, what's going to happen to the virgin birth? What is going to happen to the miracles of Christ? What's going to happen to the rest? And so we have these, and so we could take this once for all and apply it. And again, the faith is a way of describing this body of knowledge about Christ, start to finish. Okay, what else is out there? So we had the people that say you got to get these tongues, you got to get this. Uh, oh, infant baptism. That's in the reform movement. 
Once you baptize your kids, you are guaranteed that they are one of the elect. Isn't that amazing how you can do that? Baptize your baby and guarantee they are one of the elect. And eventually, sometime in their life, God will not take them until they receive him as their savior. That is the reform dogma. Not very different from Catholic dogma, huh? And so they do not say that the baptism takes away any sin. It just simply says, as soon as you baptize your infant baby, you identify them as an elect child. So I thought it was God that chose in Calvinism, but then I found out it wasn't. It was your parents that decide if you were elect or not, by whether they baptize you. Any others? There's a description of false teachers in Timothy that says that they turn the grace of God into lewdness. Everything's okay. Everything falls under the grace of God. It just covers everything. And it says the grace of God was turned into lewdness. How did Paul respond to that error? Certainly not. God forbid that we should sin more so that there's more grace. The once-for-all sacrifice is not an invitation to sin more because all your sins are taken care of by that one sacrifice and you don't have to worry about it again. God forbid. And they take grace and horribly apply it and say, I can live however I want and God's already forgiven me. It's all forgiven. I can live as I please. And that's called lewdness. You can be as immoral as you want. You can be as cavalier as you want with your Christian life. And God has to forgive you because of his grace. And that's specifically listed as one of the evidences of false teachers. They turn the grace of God to lewdness. They encourage people to live like the world. They encourage people not to live out their faith. So again, we have two extremes. You have the Judaizers who say you have to keep the law. And then you have these people that are come along and say, you don't have to do anything. You can just keep living the way you want. You go have sex with your mother-in-law. Stepmother, which one was it? Whatever was going on in Corinth there. And he says, that's unheard of even among the unbelievers. Well, nowadays, nothing's unheard of among the unbelievers. Um, but... Uh, he said, they've turned the grace of God into lewdness. This is the evidence of their error. They have taken the once for all, and instead of making it once for all men, once for all time, they've made it once for all sins. Go ahead and sin all you want. And so that was one of the errors that were evident. We're going to be discussing some of those down the line. But I want you to really maybe get a more appreciative hold on the idea of why this phrase is so important. That Christ is all I need. And he's there for everyone. Yes? Right, and they go to Peter and says, repent and be baptized. 
and they'll go to those instances and not realize the context of what's going on there and who you're talking to and what you're referencing. When it's obviously, and it's similarly with Paul, when we go the other direction with easy believism, right? What's easy believism? Pray this prayer and you're saved. You don't even have to mean it. Just say these words in this order. Bam. Um, by the way, how do you become a Muslim? Five times in a row you say the, the is it called the Hajj? Is that called the Hajj? Yeah. Yeah, you have to marry a Muslim one. Which was, the, the, they just read in the paper today that they rescued 82 of the girls that were taken hostage in the, was it Boca? Yeah, village that they kidnapped those 300 girls. And they made several of them marry Muslim men and have their kids. And, uh, but those were all Christian girls. And uh, so in their mind, they're now Muslim. So... But uh, it's not easy believism. It's not just pray this prayer and bam, you, you, got, you got eternity taken care of. Now you go live your life however you want. That's lewdness. Easy believism leads to it. And, well, I got baptized as a baby. I'm good. It all leads to lewdness. Just live immorally and God has to take me in because this guy showed me this prayer and I prayed it. No repentance, no life change, no new creation. And uh, that's error that leads to lewdness. So Good. Are you about, you're, you're not talking about, so there's two, there's two different versions of baptized. You're talking about the one where you, if you get baptized, then you're saved. There's also those that say that you're not saved until you're baptized. Right. That there, it's a completion. Yeah. You're adding it to. Right, they want to add to it. Okay. And there are flat-out Judaizers around still, too, that want you to be circumcised, keep the law. Those are still out there, too. And uh, they masquerade, and they, you have to have, and they also have a little bit of Gnosticism in there. You have to have the right pronunciation, right? Got to have those right pronunciations, uh, and you got to use the right name. You got to call them Yahweh and not... Jehovah, you have to call him Yeshua, not Jesus. Uh, there's a lot of that out there right now too, and that's a, that's that Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is very appealing to the intellect. It strokes the ego, and that's um, why it was so prevalent. And of course, it kind of fell in line with the Greek idea of some of the philosophers of Plato, especially Platonic, and, and it's in its uh, application. Once for all, ingrain it into your thinking, your theology, and it will deliver you and keep you from getting into a lot of error. If you can just nail that down. Jesus Christ is all I trust in. He's done it for me. He's done it for everyone. And he is the only way. He is the one. And... That takes care of a lot of your salvific errors that have been introduced over the centuries into the church from its very inception almost. Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God, we do thank you 
for your word. And we thank you again for its warnings and for its affirmations. And here as we get ready to enter in a passage that is pretty negative about false teachers, we thank you for an affirmative that reminds us that our faith is one that is placed in a once-for-all Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to guard that with our lives, if necessary. That we might not allow um, those within our midst or around us to do injury to it. And that we might take that stand and recognize the necessity of um, the universality of the offer of salvation of the one and only one sacrifice completing all of the requirements you have for our sin. Lord, we thank you so much for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for these words to challenge us and inform us, to encourage us to be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in your work. And we praise the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen.